Hello, and welcome to Dope Conversations Podcast. I am your host, Bikita Pegram, and I am going to give you something to think about. Hello, 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 and welcome back. The moment we have been waiting for in the month of May, our opportunity to talk to Dr. Lisa Thompson from Prairie View A&M University. I am so excited to have her for many reasons. One, she is one of my favorite professors, and she was the person that I sent a very scared email in my first semester and said, would you pretty please be my mentor? It was much longer than that, but that was the gist of it. And she um, she said yes. That was my moment. She said yes. And I was like, yes, because I look up to her for so many reasons. She has accomplished so many things in her own career. And I felt like it was a way for me to learn from her and learn how to navigate through leadership as a black woman. So she, to me, was like the, duh, this has got to be your mentor. Um, She has done some great things. She's a native of Dallas, so we won't hold that against her from Houston. You know, we kind of got mixed feelings about Dallas, but she a good one. So we're okay with her. (laughs) And but she's received numerous honors, fellowships. She's co-chaired galas. She's um, currently the president of the Lynx chapter in Katy. So that is something good. She's always she's a giver. She's smart. She's intelligent. And she's very funny when you get to talk to her. I When I first met her, I'm not going to lie, I was scared of her. And she may not even know this, but she did my interview for to get into the graduate program at PV. And the whole interview, her face was so straight. And I'm like, oh, my God, I am scared to death. But then when I had her class, I'm like, oh, she's cool. <laughs> so it was really, really cool to talk to her. So I'm going to. Um, and let her come in. But first, I want to say congratulations on her most recent accomplishment, getting her MBA at her first HBCU. So congratulations, Dr. Thompson, and welcome to the brother and sisterhood family of all HBCUs. It does not matter which one. You are now official. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am so touched and just absolutely jaw is open. I had no idea you were nervous at all. You are a steel magnolia. Every time I have encountered you, you are focused and you know exactly what to say, where you're going. You have great ideas. So um, I I. I have uh, just as much respect for you and all that you've done. You have taken getting your PhD uh, so seriously, which for me as a faculty member, it's it's very inspiring because I remember what it's like to be ready to get my doctorate and the energy and the passion. I see it when I see everything that you touch. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of this uh, dope educator podcast yes. and everything that you you have been doing. I just I love it. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you. I appreciate it because I know you've done your own research and your own work as far as women in leadership. So it was really just uh, unthinkable just to say, okay, that's the person that needs to be on this episode. And one of the first questions I want to ask you is, 
What are your thoughts on other mothering in the workplace? We talked about this earlier in the month on a podcast that we did. And and we talked about the implications of other mothering for black women in the workplace. So I just want to know what are your thoughts about that? Okay, um, just to kind of tell you a little bit about my background, I have been in the public school system, I've been in higher education, and within higher education, I've been in a private, predominantly white institution, I have been in a state-supported, predominantly white institution, I have been in two HBCUs, and so what I share is coming from kind of a content analysis of all of those different environments, being an African-American woman faculty member um, in the PWI setting. I noticed when I was first a visiting scholar in residence and then transitioned to a visiting assistant professor within the PWI that was private, that my my boldness and my assertiveness was met with um, kind of surprise, uh, I would say, in terms of um, how I negotiated my, my contract. But I did notice that when I would be in the faculty meetings, being the only woman of color, um, that some of the tasks that were divided amongst the faculty, um, a lot of them were pretty much delineated to the women if they were involving the softer side of leadership. For example, a lot of the mentoring aspects uh, with the students. And at that point, they were undergrad. Um, I noticed that my male colleagues were more uh, dealing with the budget and dealing with uh, decision making in terms of course scheduling. But when it came to the women faculty, they uh, really wanted the responsibilities of advising the undergrad uh, to, to, to fall under the women faculty. And so one of the projects uh, involved designing a brand new website. And so I let my department chair know that I had expertise in computers and uh, web and I wanted to be a part of it. And so when I became a part of that group, not only did I bring a lot of ideas and content, they ended up using a lot of what I brought. And so my chair uh, commended me. But I had to kind of say, I want to be on that committee Mm -hmm. because if I had left it to them, uh, it would have been more so just kind of nurture the undergrads, uh, do more of the advising. And um, conversely, being in an HBCU environment where uh, I'm not in the minority per se in terms of the faculty, Um, I have also seen similarities uh, in terms of some of the responsibilities that have been, um, you know, uh, delegated uh, from some of the administrators um, where the women faculty have been asked to do, again, uh, some of the uh, advising. And um, I think with the current, you know, environment where I am right now, we've got a lot of strong women. And they are not afraid to be vocal when they see it, mm-hmm. uh, present company included. And so we'll say in a very non-threatening, uh, kind of lighthearted, but very serious way, well, Doc, you know, um, why don't you go ahead and take those notes uh, since we don't have anybody available uh, to, to record the meetings. Right. You, you go ahead. Uh, I, I think I've done it once before. So let's go ahead and give you an opportunity. Right. 
I like that. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I, my, my PhD is just as valid as yours. And, and I don't think, you know, the, the note taking is something that needs to always be asked of the female faculty right. as, as one example. Right. And I like that you mentioned, because I found in my research that a lot of female faculty are asked to be mentors. They spend a lot of time clocking mentor hours instead of researching and some of the other things that could broaden their research agendas and and help their career along. They're often put into um, student affairs arenas and things like that because they feel like they have that nurturing jump. I'll say gene. They think it's just a gene that belongs to women. I I would agree with that. Um, One of the things that I think is important to note is that um, when it comes to the difference between the male and the female faculty and some of the roles, especially with uh, things that I've noticed in grant writing. So if a female faculty has a strong track record of getting grants, you know, sometimes the male faculty will kind of jump on that train Mm. because this person has been successful. But I've also seen environments where let's say a grant uh, is opportunity has come and um, teams are being formed. I don't see the female faculty being invited to be a part of these teams as much as the men who network amongst themselves. um, And they tend to keep the teams the same. And so I have noticed that, but we, you know, have to kind of bring it to the attention of those. I don't know that it's overt, but I know that it happens enough to where, um, you know, it could be just, you know, we work well together as a team. But I know that for women, sometimes it's very hard to break into those types of groups, which, again, are going to be very beneficial to your career enhancement and your advancement. Right. Having access right. is going to be very important. So you've got to be comfortable with saying, hey, I think I would be a valuable member of this team. Um, and then also going for the grant as the PI or the co-PI. And, you know, um, I, I had that opportunity with the NSF grant uh, to serve as the program evaluator and do the assessment. And I was co-PI at, at, a, at another institution Um that was uh, in engineering, the civil engineering. So you, you can't be afraid to speak up and, and it's okay to say, I've got this skill set. Mm-hmm. You're not bragging. Okay. You're just stating the obvious, what your, what your CV is also saying. That's but good. a lot of times, a lot of times we don't want to appear to be bragging, right. but in fact, men do it all the time. Right. I think and sometimes their stuff is not that great. But see, I think as black women, we have so many stereotypes that we're already fighting that become barriers in our career and even in society that we're too aggressive. And, you know, so where it may be just patting yourself on the back or or okay to brag, that might Mm -hmm. come off as too aggressive to someone else. And we're aware of these stereotypes that we fight. So I think it changes our approach in different arenas. Absolutely. I will say one thing that has helped is to see more women in senior leadership roles. I can tell you that um, with Dr. Ruth Simmons being uh, the president when she was initially interim and then became the permanent president of Prairie View A&M, I think it really helped female faculty members to see her way of leading 
Um, she's very student centered. She's very what is in the best interest of the students. And she is very decisive in how she makes decisions because she is so great at that position. Being a leader, being a president, she can go in, assess a situation, make a decision and make it happen and execute. And that's a great example. It is, but it's also great for the men to see this because she is the first female president in the history, 140 plus years, the history of the university. And to see that level, to see it like like a a, a Michael Jordan, uh, Mm -hmm. LeBron of of college presidents who is a black female. Right. Execute the way that she does is good for everybody. It's mm. also good for our sister institutions. Yeah. Uh, at predominantly white uh, institutions to see um, this expertise in action. Right. Because then it gives them another example of what a black woman can do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I didn't I didn't know that because, yes, they you know, when you meet someone, they already have their idea of what they are just based off of your gender and your race. So to see an example that may be a little bit, I would say more detailed of an example of a woman, because I don't think she's one in a million. It's just now she's getting an opportunity to show what many other black women can do. Yes. So yes. I, I think that's important. At this time, can you share one memory or an example that maybe other mothering happened to you? Um, let's see. Other mothering. I I can actually. I was asked to take a leadership role for two seminal projects going on in my college. And so being the eager beaver that I was that I was, I, I said, yes, I'll do it. And, you know, of course, there was a, a stipend that came along with it. And so I took the lead for two major uh, occurrences and activities. I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, just say activities. Okay. And I noticed that when I took control, that the uh, feedback was very favorable. The individual who asked me to take control, who happened to be a male, I wanted to take the reins a little bit. And I said, well, you know, you asked me to do it. I've done it. I've set it up. And so I think that because of that individual's position, um, it was kind of like, well, I don't want to be shown up. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't really know you were going to take it to this level to where now folks are like, well, we know you're supposed to be doing it, but she's doing it. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that attempt to come in and circumvent and take over after it was pretty much all the way set up Mm -hmm. uh, is an example of how I believe my femininity, femininity, my youth, my vigor, um, my organizational management and um, ability to kind of project manage uh, both of these projects at the same time. Um, that that this individual thought that it might be okay because they were senior to me to kind of stop it in order to make sure that they didn't appear to not have uh, control. Right. And so, you know, that, that was one thing that stood out for me. Um, it really surprised me because I, I, I viewed the individual uh, as a mentor 
And then I got to see another side that said, no, it was um, it was just more trying to um, utilize my talent to get a couple of things off of a to do list. And it really wasn't about enlarging me or making sure I had opportunities that would propel my career. And so so I felt, you know, at that point, I've got to be very protective about what I jump on uh, and make sure that I am very aware of the intent of why I was invited, mm-hmm. um, because oftentimes um, you can be used. Yeah. And at that point, I felt like, no, this wasn't an opportunity to um, help me grow and develop my skill set as a leader. It was more so I didn't want to do it. And now that I see you're doing it well, I want to circle back and take yeah. it back. Because because I was not supposed to have that level of uh, authority. Because it sounded like um, almost as, like you said, one, he may not have wanted to do it. And he once he saw that you were doing it, he wanted to kind of put you in an assistant position. Like, you assist me now from this point. And I can see that is a, a, a true form of other mothering when you are in the workplace and you are treated kind of like the gopher instead of an equal co-worker like hey I'm a I'm equal peer just like you we have the same degree we can do the same skills I'm not your assistant right right so but you know what even though you know I I believe in looking positively and trying to see what can I learn from every experience there were people who were a part of the team who had not ever had an opportunity to work with me, who, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, your, your reputation, people kind of form ideas and opinions of who you are just from afar. But that, that opportunity, actually both of them allowed some relationships to shift and change Mm. as a result of having actually worked with me and not, uh, you know, some of the, the more, um, superficial aspects of of who I was you know sometimes folks can get caught up in oh you know she she wore this and she's dressing this way and when she speaks she's you know some of the things that have absolutely um no legitimate reason to be a part of 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 a person's conversation of who they are what I wear Mm -hmm. or or how I present myself is important but it's it's not as important as the substance of my work. Right. And so the substance of my work, now they have seen, oh, okay, now we we see. Right. And one one individual even came to me and said, I owe you an apology. Um, I am gonna help you. Oh. And didn't even know that person was not, you know, Team Lisa. Right. So that that to me spoke volumes and that happened many, many years ago, but I never forgot it. And it always is in the forefront of my mind. You know, I want to say something right there. Cause you said something that I think is a very important to most women that you said your appearance and how you dressed. I think a lot of times we will as mm-hmm. women downplay our attire to not go on more on the fashion end and we'll dress more plain so people can take us seriously. Because if you dress with your, you know, dress to the nines, like you go into a fashion show to work. Yes, you feel great and you look great. But sometimes I think it takes away from what people see our abilities to be. They don't get to know our abilities because they just see us as purity objects. 
I agree. And I'm going to tell you a secret. My mother told me, she said, you dress for the role you want. Mm -hmm. And having come from Washington, D.C., being around congresswomen, being around the wives of congressmen, seeing how they carried themselves, I have always been a non-participant observer. (laughs) Okay. So part of that also has to do with my DNA. My father loved to dress well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's something that has resonated with me well before I became an adult, that your appearance is important. And for me, a certain type of suit was important. And it, in many cases, was very cost prohibitive. But I had friends and sister friends that said, oh, yes, you can afford some St. John. She said, there are resale shops. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to the store. You can go people that are like, oh, it's out of season. I want to, you know, get a little bit uh, for what I paid. And so if I didn't have but two good suits and changed up my shirt and changed up my shoes, um, I was going to present myself in a way that said, I do belong. Because too many times women suffer from imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. thinking, I don't deserve to be here. Um, I disagree with uh, the belief that wherever God places you, that that is not exactly where you are supposed to be. Right. And if you got there by a fluke, it's where you are. The opportunity has presented itself and you run with it and you make it your own and you don't apologize. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with my very unconventional pathway to my PhD. I was 26 when I started working on my PhD. I was told you need to wait, you need to go and get some teaching experience, then go back. Well, I, again, I have a mother who told me, go all the way through. Wait, don't, don't, don't go back. You have kids and married and then it'll be even more difficult. And she was right. So 26, starting my PhD with no attachments other than myself Mm -hmm. uh, is a part of the reason why I think um, at a very early age, I started believing in my ability to be a leader. That's good. Because I I went into the classroom at age 23 with a master's. Mm-hmm. I went at bachelor's, master's, and then at 23 into the classroom. So I'd already had principal leadership training and I used it. And I was blessed to have a mentor who said, you know what? You're not your average first year teacher. Right. And she made me a mentor teacher in my second year, Miss Betty Davis. And I'm going to tell you something about being your authentic self. Miss Betty Davis was a high school principal in Dallas ISD. When women do get the opportunity to be a principal, it's usually at the elementary level. And not only was she stylish and gorgeous. Are you ready for this? She wore an ankle chain. Hello. (laughs) I noticed she wore an ankle chain. She was being her. She was being her authentic self. She is still a mentor to this day. And when I decided after uh, a couple of years under her leadership, I wanted to get my Ph.D. I was afraid to tell her because I I, I didn't want her to think, well, you're leaving me. She said, you go get that Ph.D. You you are built for it. And she encouraged me, wrote my letters of recommendation. And the rest is history. That's good. That's wonderful. 
So, Dr. Thompson, let me ask you this. How do you create boundaries without being excluded or looked at at, as the mean woman that doesn't want to be a team player? I think it begins with mindset and being protective of your time Mm -hmm. because you're going to be evaluated using the same appraisal system as all of your peers. And if you don't fiercely protect your time because you you have the same 24 hours in a day, just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to be uh, evaluated on your research, your teaching and your service. And you know what percentages count toward uh, your final evaluation. So it's just a matter of, okay, this is how many advisees I can handle. Um, This is uh, the number of classes that I'm teaching, which is pretty much you can control for that. But your hours that you spend on your research, you have to make sure that you don't take on more. And it's, it's, it's just a mindset that, you know what, if I don't take care of myself, no one else will. Right. And, and not being afraid to say no. Um, there are ways you can, you can be diplomatic. You can say, I really appreciate this opportunity, but I'm going to have to respectfully decline. I love those two words, respectfully decline. When more, you know, tasks are being added to your basket, you have to really say, I only have 24 hours the day and you you have family and other things outside of work that count toward that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So knowing it's okay to be protective of your of your time is is where you should start in your mind. It's okay. That's good. I like that because that goes into like how can women avoid negative backlash and it's just being protective of your time. And I, I really think that's important being able to say respectively, I decline and knowing that it's okay. Cause I think a lot yeah. of times we take on more than we can handle. Cause we're scared that if we don't, we won't be there. And this is one thing that you're right. One thing that I have found people that are really sponsors, mentors, advisors, they will respect your decision. If they really weren't uh, pro you, then, you know, they, they, they fall to the wayside because their motives were not pure. Mm-hmm. They really were not trying to sow into you. And you can tell if you tell someone, no, you can't do it. And you notice a difference. They weren't for you. Right. And it's good and it's good that that falls to the wayside. I like that. Thank you so much. We are at the time in our show when it's time for on the block and where we talk about those things that we can do on our block. So, you know, my thing is always bringing academics to the grassroots. So here we are. These are the things that I want to tell you that or share with you, really, that will help you in your workplace, help you and your homes as well. So my black women that are interested in being leaders, I recently came across this book. I have been reading and listening to audiobooks a lot. So I'm going to start sharing some of these books with y'all. The first book that I want to share with you is The Little Black Book of Success. It is by three black women. Um, Let me get their names. Elaine Brown. And I'm trying to see. uh, 
Marsha Haygood and Rhonda McLean. So in this little black book is assessed. It's not a very long book, but they go through what they have. They call mama in mama isms, things that their mothers have told them about being a black woman, but also cultural nuggets were things that as black people we should know but it's a way for you to gain that knowledge and motivation that you need to keep going on in corporate world they talk about um, how to handle tough situations they give you real life scenarios and I love this little book and it's called a little black book of success laws of leadership for black women and you can find it on Amazon Um, it was on um, Apple books so i Maybe two days it took me to listen to it, but you they encourage you to keep a journal with it of experiences and things that you learn from it. Then the other thing I want to say um, is set clear boundaries. Dr. Thompson said that several times. It is important with family, friends, but definitely in the workplace with your career. You got to set boundaries, but you can only do that if you define clearly what your leadership goals are. How can you set a boundary and you don't even know what your boundaries are? So you take time, sit down, write down, okay, this is my career path. This is where I want to go. So how can I get there? This may not be something you can answer yourself, but mentors are great. Sponsors are great. Sit down and really navigate how can you get to your end goal and what it looks like through the process of um, different career changes to get there. And the last thing is SMART goals. I learned about this, um, I think last week. SMART goals is a way to sit down and really think out and plan your goals. So S stands for be specific. Try to answer who, what, when, where, and why, and how you want to obtain your goal. Measurable, a clear metric or result that will show you that you accomplished your goal. Attainable stretches you um, you just enough, but it's still possible. Something is a, it may be challenging, but you can do it. Relevant. It needs to connect to your true direction, your true goals. So everything that you do needs to be relevant. If it's volunteering, if it's doing a podcast, if it's doing op-eds, whatever it is, if you're volunteering in local community groups, make sure it's connected to your overall goal. And then last but not least, timed a day that it will be accomplished by so we always you don't want to have an open-ended goal because then it's not intentional so you want to have a clear goal a timeline that you want to make this goal happen for you so dr thompson i want to say thank you again for coming on you are true role model to all of us at PV and AMU and above and beyond those walls as well. And I wish you much success on everything that you're doing. I know you're going to do wonderful. She's a, and on top of all the things that she does, one other thing that I admire is she's a wonderful mom. Y'all some of the things that she shares on her Facebook about her family is beautiful. So find you a a mentor like that. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am um, blessed by you and my students because you guys, whether you know it or not, you pour into me, you pour into us. We talk about the great things that you're doing. We celebrate you. And it's, it's a reason why it's easy to have this passion because when I see students like you who take an idea and run with it <laughs> and it grows exponentially, it just it, it just it brings joy to my heart. 
And so you keep doing what you're doing because you are also empowering the next generation through your work. Thank you so much. I just thank you for the encouragement. And um, it's, it's, it's good to have somebody that supports you. A lot of the things that I've done in this program actually stem from her encouraging me. Um, Onyx Mentoring Group happened in her class. This podcast was not supposed to happen until I graduated. And she sends me an email. She's like, I think you should do that now. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> so I thank you. She always gives me the courage to step out. And once I step out, I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I did that. Thank you, Dr. Thompson. <laughs> so thank you. And I'm going to ask you now on air so you can't say no. <laughs> At the end okay. of the year, I want to bring all the guests back and we're going to kind of do like a round table with all of the guests. And I would love to have you back. You have my word. I will be there with bells on. I'll be there. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you for coming, audience. I thank you for listening. You have been growing each week and leaving um, reviews, and I appreciate it. On Apple, I checked yesterday, and we have a perfect five, so let's keep that energy. Please go follow, subscribe, leave a review on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Bikita Pegram or my website, BikitaPegram.com, and you can even listen to the podcast on the website. So. Go there, check it out. But again, join us next month. We will have Dr. Bonner, also from Prairie View A&M, and he will be on to talk about black faculty and what it's like for us in higher education. So I'm looking forward to hearing him. But thank you again for joining us. Go forth and be great. Bikita out.